0: Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Tuesdays with Trey. There are times when you just don't know what to believe. We read stories in the news and the facts seem pretty similar, and we know that there are some distinctions. We just don't know if those distinctions make a difference. We know it's been alleged President Trump had classified documents at his residence in Mar-a-Lago. We remember Secretary Clinton sent or received or both Uh, classified information over a non-governmental server. We now are reading that former Vice President Biden, who is the current President Biden, had classified documents allegedly in an office, uh, allegedly at his residence, uh, and that's what we know so far. Are the cases similar? Are they different? Do the differences make a difference? And if we really want to be fair about it, what should we be looking for? What should we be looking at? So for all of this, we have to have professional help. So we're going to turn to one of the most trusted legal minds, at least in my judgment, in the country, and that is Professor Jonathan Turley. Welcome, Professor. Thank you, Trey. All right. What are the facts as we know or suspect with respect to President Biden and classified information?
2: Well, what we now know with some certainty is that those documents have reportedly included TSSCI documents, which are uh, one of the more uh, the highest levels of classification, uh, TSSCI material, which I've had to deal with for years in litigation, uh, generally requires you to go to a skiff. Uh, you're not allowed to bring in your cell phone, your own computer. Uh, these are documents that are tightly controlled. Uh, storing them with your Corvette or putting them in a closet in a, a office building is not not exactly the protocol that you follow. So all of this can constitute uh, the gross mishandling of classified information. It can indeed be
1: a crime. All right. Does it matter that his counsel found the documents as opposed to a bureau agent or national archives? Is there any relevance to that?
2: Well, there can be. Uh, one of the things that I noted when we were doing this coverage as it unfolded was that I found it curious that as late as yesterday, you had disclosures of documents found by private counsel as opposed to the FBI. Private counsel may not have a clearance or certainly a clearance at the TSSCI level or higher. After the first two batches were discovered, it's a little odd that they were still relying on private counsel uh, to look through material and potentially review highly classified information. If the president instructed that as the course of conduct, it can also be viewed as a, a gross mishandling of classified information.
1: Is it important? Well, we'll even start with relevant. Is it relevant? And then is it probative or important that the government didn't ask for these documents back i mean when i am late or you are late returning a book to the library uh at george washington university you get a notice um i'm assuming some time had lapsed from the time he had access to these classified documents until the time he transitioned into a private citizen and yet is there no log kept i mean Would we have ever known this had the lawyers not found it? And does it matter? Well, this is something else I noted
2: when we were watching this unfold on the air. There was a distinct lack of urgency uh, that comes from this timeline. I mean, my first reaction after we were covering the uh, attorney general's conference was that the dates really didn't line up very well. I mean, first of all, you had. The discovery on November 4th, it wasn't until November 2nd, it wasn't until November 4th that the Justice Department was informed by the archives, not as the White House has uh, indicated by counsel. Uh, But then it took a week after the original discovery to do the risk assessment. But then private counsel continued to look for documents. uh, And then we have the continuing use of private counsel uh, uh, through December. And so what's odd is that the white, the FBI did not appear to be particularly eager to secure any remaining documents. Now, in fairness to the FBI, they also worked with the Trump people. They allowed the Trump people to look through Mar-a-Lago and to confirm whether there were existing or remaining classified documents. But after Mar-a-Lago, you would think that, uh, the FBI would, would probably try to circumvent that process and say, look, would, do you mind if we just go through and look for this? The other thing that I've raised is that this is the president of the United States. So he, he has security officers available. He could have sent security
1: officers to go through this material, but he didn't. So none of this makes a lot of sense to me. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: I'm not hugely interested in prosecuting former or current presidents. I know there's a a, a big interest in kind of, you know, criminalizing our politics. I'm I'm not interested in that, but I am curious, does it matter who took the documents there? If it was part of a moving crew, if he was just, um, you know, perhaps careless in how he allowed documents to be to be you know, moved from his vice presidential residence, I guess, is knowledge. Does knowledge matter as you analyze this fact pattern or is it a strict liability crime?
2: Well, first of all, the normal course of uh, these, these removals is that an archive record will be created. You have to keep a list of documents that are removed from the White House or the vice president's residence from the executive branch generally. So there should be an archival record as to what was taken. If there wasn't, it really does lead to questions of its own. I mean, you're not supposed to just be able to stuff your uh, briefcase with classified material and just, you know, depart. Part of the reason we have those lists is the one that you Mentioned these are the lawyers aren't driving the moving trucks. They're not carrying the boxes, they're not packing stuff up. Uh, the documents were likely packed up by staff, but then they were handed over to uh these moving company employees. What we also know is that these documents very likely had to be moved more than twice. The Penn Biden Center office didn't even open until 2018. So those documents had to be somewhere else, uh, and then they were moved. We also know that the documents had to have been divided and distributed. They didn't remain together. They ended up in three different places. Uh, There's a lot of different people that were likely involved in movement, but also likely uh, with access to the garage, the office, the closet, the library, Uh, during this long period of five years or more. So all of that's relevant, and you can't, under law, give a classified document to a mover and just say don't look in the box. Just take it to this address. You just can't do that. There are uh, couriers that have to be used, and I say this because it's very frustrating when I do I deal with classified litigation in the national security area, and at times we have to use couriers, and it creates a headache because you have to wait for someone with a courier card who's certified to take classified material, including your briefs, and that could be a real headache. You can you can miss a
1: deadline because your courier carded uh, messenger is, is, is not showing up. You know, I'm smiling only because, uh, you know, there is no security background check done for members of Congress. I mean, the election is your background check, and you can serve on the House Intelligence Committee and have no formal background check. But when you leave Congress and you want to do what you're doing now, it was the most exhaustive background check <laughs> I have ever had in my life. I mean, they go back and interview friends from 20 years ago. So they do take it, they take it very, very seriously. This is what caught my attention in the in the kind of the days after this became public. I, I have counted so far eight different articles that early in the article, professor, immediately begin to tell us how different this is from the Trump fact pattern. I mean, it is as if this is a talking point. Yeah, it's bad facts, but we need to immediately distinguish it. You're a lawyer. You're not just a law professor. You actually practice, which puts you in a pretty small category, law professors. You actually know what you're doing. Uh, No offense to other law professors, but it does put you in a pretty small category. So there are always differences, but the differences don't always make a difference. Do you see differences in the Trump fact pattern and the Biden fact pattern that make a difference to you? And do you see some that are just political maneuvering to try to convince us there's a difference?
2: Well, the immediate spin that began after the discovery of the Penn-Biden office documents was impressive even by Washington standards. It was immediate. You had many of the people, that have been alleging virtually every crime against Trump as proven for years suddenly becoming a highly conservative in terms of how to read uh, criminal provisions. You have people like Lawrence Tribe, who came out your Tribe has literally stated that tr- that Trump could be accused of about a dozen different crimes, including attempted murder. And that he felt that that was clearly proven. And he came out and said, say this plainly. What Trump did was a crime. What Biden did was not a crime. Now, this was before we even knew anything beyond the fact that there was unclassified documents found in his closet. And so the spin was quite impressive. People kept on saying this is apples and oranges. That's clearly not true. These are apples and apples. They're just different apples. Right. I mean, if you've got two people that that rob two banks, uh, you call them bank robbers. If the second one also stole a car, it means that he's facing an additional crime. But the original crime remains the same. Now, that doesn't mean to say that either Biden or Trump have committed crimes here. This is a difficult area. The fact is that classified material is mishandled in a city like this. There is a lot of classified material that's floating around. TSSCI material is, you know, supposed to be held much more closely than something that's confidential or secret or even top secret. But the fact is that the underlying conduct is the same. When Mar-a-Lago first happened, when it was simply the possession of classified material, many of these same individuals said, well, this is just clearly a national security violation. It's clearly a crime. Uh, He should be convicted. Many of them added that even if he pleads guilty or is found guilty to a misdemeanor, which is how other— cases have been handled previously, that he should be barred from running for office. None of those people are suggesting that uh, with President Biden, that suddenly this has become really not a very significant matter.
1: And that's why I wanted to have you on, because you immediately point out, and I think it is crucial for our listeners to understand that Crime is not just this rolling fact pattern. There are different statutes. So you have the handling of classified information. And then what I hear a lot of people saying, well, this is different because Trump or his lawyers misled the FBI or lied to the FBI in the aftermath. To me, that is a separate crime. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it goes to intent on the first crime, which is what I'm trying to grapple with, lying to the FBI is a crime. But it doesn't matter if it's classified documents, FBI, bank robbery, doesn't matter. So is it significant that you know, Biden wasn't asked, therefore didn't have an opportunity to make misstatements to the FBI and Trump either is alleged to have or his lawyers? Is that are they are they co-mingling statutes or is there relevance from one to the other?
2: Well, first of all, to deal with your issue of intent, Trey, obviously, the most serious crimes are like Sandy Berger, where there was clearly an intent to remove because he stuffed them in his socks, for God's sake. Uh, So that intent was rather obvious by where the documents were placed. Those are the most serious offenses. But the statute covers gross mishandling. It's designed to say that you it's not just simply that you intended to uh, to expose classified evidence to third parties. It is that you knowingly took actions that made that happen. And you can understand why it has that gross uh, conduct type of uh, option, because a lot of people will say, obviously, I didn't intend any anything wrong by what I was doing. So it's not enough to say this was inadvertent. And also the inadvertence defense, I think, is going to come back to bite the White House. Uh, you know, when you say you inadvertently mishandled something, you're admitting that, yeah, we put those in the box. Uh, and the question in under the statute is not just whether you intended to steal classified material, but whether you acted with sort of gross indifference or gross mishandling of, of the, the material. This, what we know already shows gross mishandling. And the problem with knowledge is that there's circumstantial evidence that might suggest knowledge. Why were the documents divided? If this was an inadvertent mishandling, you had to repeatedly inadvertently mishandle. At some point, inadvertence becomes real darn hard uh, to discern from intentional. So this could very well break down. They better hope that there's not a single human being on this planet that can put one of those documents in, in, in history in front of the president. Because if the president did rely on any one of those documents for his book, they are reportedly clearly marked as our TSSCI documents. And that whole inadvertence defense really becomes evidence of a, a
1: post-offense effort to deceive. So I am taking it that perhaps you were not moved at this point uh, by the notion that the garage was locked. (laughs) I I, I found that to be a a laughable defense, that the garage was locked.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, my first reaction on air was, you know, because first of all, I got to tell you, that is one hot car. I mean, I I when I when I I I was it's my favorite color and it is one of my favorite models and if I could afford one, god, I would have one. I uh, but I so I have to say, I'm sure you are, are quite secure with that car because heck, I would steal it if you left it on the street. Uh but uh no, the Corvette standard doesn't actually Appear in in classified protocols, and you know the, the one thing that came to mind when this first broke is Corvette used to have a slogan that uh, it's like a car but better. Uh, we don't usually apply that to classified documents. <laughs> that this is just like my car. Uh, you you gotta actually protect it a little more carefully. Now, I have to say, if I was a Chinese spy and I went into that garage and I had to choose between uh, the 72 Stingray and some old Ukrainian documents, there'd be no question
1: what I'd be driving out with. (laughs) Oh, I, it, it's not funny. Except it is funny. Uh, you you got the leader of the free world with access to phenomenal legal counsel, and you use the word inadvertent, which puts which which puts you in the middle of it. And then you say the garage was locked. All right. So somebody on MSNBC said that Republicans are not smart enough to see the difference between the Trump case and the Biden case. That's probably true for me. I, I She's probably right if she's describing me. I, I, I probably am not. And I don't know your political orthodoxy, but it does strike me that there are more similarities than differences. So if you're Merrick Garland and you're trying to decide, I mean, do you have to treat the, both of them the same or is there a way to finesse criminality in one fact pattern, but not the other? Well, that's what's bizarre about
2: this this whole line of spin that's coming out of some of these uh, experts that, of course, they're different crimes. You know, if 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 we had two murders, uh, we wouldn't say, well, there's no comparison. That murder was done with a knife. This was done with a hatchet. I mean, there's obviously differences between crimes and there can be collateral crimes uh, related to uh, a crime. But to say that we don't see the differences is really to beg some embarrassing questions. You know, look. There are serious allegations against President Trump and his staff about false statements and obstruction. The FBI has already said in court filings they believe that both occurred. So that's obviously quite serious. We don't know if those types of allegations will arise with Biden because we just started the investigation. But there's also... Problems on the other side, Uh, you know, the the Mar-a-Lago documents were in a building protected by the Secret Service. The FBI insisted that it have added locks and they complied. That doesn't mean that they were right to hold classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. I don't think that uh, the president that President Trump was correct in holding classified documents there. Um, But in the level of security, that's still many times better than putting it next to your Corvette in a garage uh, or leaving it uh, in a closet for years in a building with thousands of people moving in and out, uh, including cleaning crews. So I don't know if you really want to go down that road of comparison uh, that everyone is so uh, enamored with. Uh, there are good and bad aspects of those comparisons on both sides. Um, the correct answer is simply they both may involve mishandling of classified material and you can deal with the same offense while saying that there's differences in how they unfolded
1: at what point do you think the bureau says you know we are really really grateful to the private attorneys who for you know a couple thousand dollars an hour have been looking for this stuff but we're going to take it over from here At, at what point does the bureau say we're going i'm not talking about executing a search warrant i'm not talking about i mean just that that Or or have they already said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're not going to let lawyers at fill in the blank law firm do it.
2: Well, that's the really odd thing that I raised is I don't understand that timeline. Uh, It's this is different from Mar-a-Lago, where the FBI was assured that everything was locked in an office that had a camera on it and had Secret Service all around the facility. That doesn't make it sufficiently secure, but it certainly has some security what happened here was that documents were discovered in a closet at the tssci level that the biden people are saying they didn't even know existed that they didn't even know were there now that should have set the the hair on fire of a number of fbi people saying whoa we've got a box of tssci material they have no tracking no list no record we need to move quickly I don't understand why that timeline then played out the way it did. The, the, the problem I have here, which I've been saying, is that this is the president of the United States. He's got people with clearances, security officers that do nothing but look through documents and make sure that they're correctly handled. Why wouldn't he send those people to go through all of his material as opposed to private counsel?
1: Uh, Could it possibly be because those people would be subject to being asked questions, whereas his lawyers might have a a reason not to answer them?
2: Well, I think we saw that with the Clinton uh, scandal, uh, that the preference is to use lawyers because you can control them. They can even, in the Clinton case, destroy uh, emails against the wishes of government officials who wanted to to review all of the emails on the servers. So it gives you control. Uh, But it also plays it also sort of is relevant to how the president responded later. Um, I was floored by the president's first statement that my lawyers told me I shouldn't even ask what the documents are. Really? I can understand your lawyer saying don't make any comments. You could get indicted. I've said that to lots of clients. But to say don't ask what the documents are is perfectly bizarre. He's the chief witness. He's the guy that the investigators will need to know what is his recollection. Did he request these documents? Did a third party go rogue and just take material from the executive branch? He's the primary source for that information. So it was astonishing to see all these reporters just sort of shrug and say, okay, you know, yeah. You're not going to ask about the identity of documents, even though as President of the United States, the national security should trump your personal
1: liability concerns. Sit tight. We'll have more of this interview after this. All right. Before I let you go, we've got we've got a country of several hundred million folks, most of whom do not follow the law and politics in the intersection thereof um, on an hourly basis like you and I may. And they're just sitting there thinking, OK, we got special counsel investigating the immediate past president. We have special counsel investigating a fact pattern that involves the current president. Is this just the way it's going to be for the rest of our lives? This criminalizing of politics, the Department of Justice is playing an outsized role. It's hard to explain with violent crime being what it is and all these other categories that I mean, we've got the DOJ investigating the two most recent presidents we have, or is that just, I mean, what do you make of that? Well,
2: you know, this is in many ways a return to where we began, you know, when when the Republic began, uh, we had incredibly violent and poisonous politics between the Jeffersonians and the Federalists, uh, you know, people I was in a hearing once when a member came up to me and said, you know, it's all good for you to talk about the framers, but they really didn't see politics like this. And, you know, where people that talk like they want to kill each other. And I said, no, they didn't, because back then they were actually trying to kill each other. That was the point of the Alien and Sedition Act. They were trying to kill each other. So you're wrong. This Constitution was not just designed for times like these. It it was written during a time like this. It's designed to survive, and it did survive, and we will survive this. But we are having a repeat of that Jefferson Adams period, which I had hoped would never be repeated. Uh, It'll take us a while to get through this catharsis, but we don't have to worry about the constitutional system. It was designed for these times. It'll we'll get through this. But unfortunately, I think that it will not pass soon enough for this is going to be a fever that won't break until enough of the public says enough.
1: All right. This really is my last question. For those out there that say, you know what, I still consider fairness to be a virtue, and I may be a Republican or I may be a Democrat, but I want to be fair about it. What should they be looking for as these cases unfold, if they want to make the decision based not on the identity of the target, but on the law? And and they want to do the right thing. What are the facts that that you're going to be looking at the most as both these cases unfold?
2: Well, in terms of the Mar-a-Lago case, the key will be what the Trump counsel and team told the FBI, did they in fact lie uh, and say that there were no more classified documents? Did they know that there were classified documents when that certification or assurance was given? Did they take any other steps to to, that might be viewed as hiding classified documents? Those are the most serious questions we don't know the answers to. With Biden, the first question I want to know is, what did he work off for his book? He had a book in which he was talking about Ukraine and many of the other subject matters of these documents. Did he look at any of these documents? Did the person who helped him write the book look at any of these documents? Why were they divided and separated? Why were some sent to Washington, D.C.? What was in Washington, D.C. that meant that that box had there, that envelope had to be delivered there? Those are questions that should be answerable, and they could very well make this a much, much more serious case for uh, the president. If the president worked off those documents, if he was looking at a document that said TSSCI, then he's been sitting around for days as the White House put forward a clearly false narrative. I mean, if he worked off any of those documents, it wasn't inadvertent,
1: and he knows it. And just to be clear, special counsel sounds great. Got DOJ regulations on it. Unless the conflict is with Merrick Garland, he still is the ultimate decision maker on whether or not anything happens in either one of these cases. Is that right? Or has he recused himself and appointed some DAG?
2: No, he hasn't recused himself, which is what Jeff Sessions did. Uh, And so Garland is still keeping himself in the loop. So at the end of this process, uh, her would go to Garland with a recommendation, but it is a recommendation and Garland and her and his top uh, staff would then decide whether an indictment is consistent with the policies and practices of the justice department, including other like cases, the obvious one being Trump, but there's other cases in the past. So they will have to make a decision at that point. What, Garland realizes is that half this country has very little faith in the FBI and believes that this process is biased. And part of that decision is often based on whether an indictment would serve the public interest or whether it would ignite this deep and and angry division in the country. You know, is it is that a reason to go for a misdemeanor charge, for example, if you follow the uh, Sandy Berger uh, um, uh, case? But what is clear is that the discovery of those documents in these different locations has destroyed the clarity that Uh, the Department of Justice would have wanted in proceeding on the Trump side. It has made this a far
1: more complicated question. Professor Jonathan Turley, I'm wondering if uh, Merrick Garland is even more disappointed now that he was not allowed to vote on the Supreme Court, because as tough as that job is, it still seems a little easier than (laughs) what he's got now. I cannot thank you enough for bringing a voice of reason and telling us what we should be looking for if we aspire to be fair. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we uh, reserve the right to consult you again as matters (laughs) unfold. It's always a pleasure, Trey. Thank you for having me on. All right. Take care. And thank you all for listening. Listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
2: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and
1: information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.